1: Welcome into the Denver, the D, what is this called? The DNVR Rockies podcast, brought to you by StravaCraft Coffee. Remember to use that promo code DNVR twenty because when you do, will you save twenty percent off your entire purchase of that CBD infused, deliciously rich and potentially life altering StravaCraft Coffee? I'm your host Drew Creisman. I'm the managing editor of DNVR Rockies. With me, as always is beat writer patrick lyons and joining us once again to talk a little denver baseball history i feel like this conversation would have been complete without the voice of the colorado rockies on television at at t sportsnet and of course the host of the drew goodman podcast mr drew goodman how are you man
0: i'm doing well i'm doing uh you know like you guys uh we always qualify at this time of year or the the, in the environment that we're in but by and large, I'm doing well, and uh, hopefully, right, we all have our fingers crossed counting down the days, and uh, we'll, we'll certainly get into that at some point when when spring training, if it starts on time, but good. You guys doing well?
1: I think so. Right, we're, we're hanging out there. We're doing the thing. We're, we're at the same place, man, ready for spring training to get going. Uh, Today is normally maybe a day with a little more excitement. Certainly last year it was, as we were waiting to hear the Hall of Fame announcement, and you know, Larry Walker, it was either was or it wasn't, and it, that was the only way it could go this year. You know, we should find out the results while we're talking here. We'll get to that a little bit at the end. And as I said, we did want to spend most of our time today talking about the history of baseball in Denver before the Colorado Rockies. A lot of great ball players. a lot of great baseball has been played in the city of Denver in the state of Colorado before 1993. We want to get into that. But Drew, since we are celebrating Hall of Fame week, and, you know, we talked about, I think it was it was like the next day after we had had you before, and I know you had Walt Weiss on your podcast recently, the passing of Hank Aaron. I uh, just wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about that show, share some of your thoughts, because it, it was so deeply felt throughout all of the baseball world. Anyone who's connected to this game th- didn't have something to feel, something to share, something to say. And I know uh, the former manager and player for the Rockies also had some interesting thoughts yeah
0: yeah thank you know thanks for mentioning that um the, that that show actually will come out what, what are we tuesday it'll come out thursday morning um and i talked to walt yesterday for a while and walt's been on the podcast in the past but i mean you guys know because you've been around walt he uh, i always say that he has the unique ability to be the nicest guy in the room and also the toughest guy in the room at the same time but he played for the braves as you remember and and so he was around hank aaron uh, and now being the bench coach under Brian Snitger, he was around Hank Aaron the last few years. And uh, he he told some great stories about him. And and Walt said, you know, I'm not a, a guy that gets starstruck. And he said, one of the maybe two people I've met in my life that, uh, by the way, Drew, is that a big enough uh, mug for you, man? Yes,
1: that's the Salt River <laughs> Fields. Check that out. The uh, Got to put the coffee in the good old... The well, your well, glass—they give you a salt they, well, okay,
0: good, good for the coffee. If it was a beer, you'd be hammered by the end of the show, uh, right? <laughs> but I digress. Anyhow, but he—we he talked about, uh, you know, that he—that when he first met him back when he was playing, he was like, you know, oh my gosh, that's that's um, Hank Aaron and Walt and I grew up. We actually played against each other in in high school, so we grew up in New York together. And um, you know, Willie Mays was even though he was at the very end of his career when we were kids. You know, Willie Mays was always that guy. He played in New York, and and he overshadowed Hank Aaron. And and Hank's unfortunately now in his passing is getting his due. But this guy was underappreciated. I know you guys have gone over the numbers and and what he went through and and who he was and how humble a guy. And we all kept coming back to the his humility and how he always tried to make everybody in the room, um, you know, feel like you know, he wasn't any better than they were. Um, some great stories about Hank with Walt. And again, that'll come out on the podcast on, uh, on on Thursday. And we also talk a little bit about the upcoming season, some of the rule changes. He had some interesting thoughts about, you know, he, he's kind of like I was an old school guy, you know, with the 60 game season, as it played out, he had some interesting thoughts on kind of embracing uh, certain of the rule changes. And you know, they got a great team down there in Atlanta, a great young team. But, uh, yeah, yeah they Hank, Hank Aaron was – if it's possible to be as great as he was, guys, uh, he really, I believe, um, was underrated forever. And and now I think people are just taking a look and going, oh, wow, he really did this and that, and he stole over 200 bases and all that sort of thing. So
2: That seemed to be a common theme from a lot of people sharing their stories about Hank Aaron being – just completely starstruck by a guy who wasn't that big to begin with. He was like six foot, even, you know, and, and it was maybe around two hundred pounds. But the the conversations that people have is just just shaking his hand and feeling how powerful his hands were and those wrists. Uh, you know, started out his career. He had he had a, a, a switch
0: cr- crosshanded. It, that's it. it yeah, he crosshanded
2: in the Negro leagues. He did with the Indianapolis Clowns. That's amazing. So. You know, he's just, uh, again, a larger-than-life figure. Bob Kendrick, uh, uh, president of the, the Negro League Museum, you know, even even talked about that and just seemed like he was always that that kid from Alabama and still had that same, you know, beautiful mentality
0: and, and, and way of being all throughout his entire life. You know, fellas, think about this. You mentioned, Patrick, that he was barely six foot and he weighed 180 pounds. Willie Mays, same same size, 5'11", yeah. 180 yeah. pounds two of not only the greatest players are two of the greatest home run hitters in the history of the game. And I know we get all intoxicated with the six, four, six, five, 200, and, you know, the, the Stantons and the judges of the world. And, and they're great. I mean, they, they look like mythical, you know, creatures when they stand at the, <laughs> the and, and, but here, here are two of the greatest that if they walk down the street, they're barely average size, right? It's pretty wild. Yeah, I, I, I feel like that's a good correlation to Mike Trout,
2: who's he's 6'2". But again, in, in 2021, that's, you know, it's a little bit taller than average. But still, that's just a regular dude. And again, great power hitter, strong forearms, wrists, hands, but larger than um, life. Yeah. My,
1: my two yeah. favorite stats that we went over, but I just wanted to get your reactions to them. One, and it's been said before, that if you took away all 755 home runs, He's still a three thousand hit guy. He might still have gotten into the Hall of Fame on three thousand hits. And the other one that, and I like the way Will framed it. He'd seen it before. How many bases he is? He has. He leads all of history, Major League Baseball, in total bases. Stan Musial is in second, but you counted him up. Ninety feet by ninety feet at a time. Stan Musial is about twelve miles behind <laughs> Hank Aaron for the that, most, that, that, most that one. of all time.
0: Yeah. Drew, that's mind-boggling. I mean, that one is mind-boggling. The fact that Isn't the next best, Stan the Man, is 12 miles behind uh, when it comes to total bases. Remark, really remarkable. <laughs> yeah. By the way, hey, Looks fellas, like this, some, uh... this, this is a cup Fine. of coffee, good size. <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay, <laughs> that's normal size, right? <laughs> Whatever Creasman's what? got going is... See, Chrisman would could never get in the he, – he would get busted for PEDs. He couldn't get in the Hall of Fame with that thing because it's obvious that, you know, nobody normal could lift it. That's clearly not the unleaded coffee. Right.
1: Does craft coffees for PEDs? Is it listed as a PED? I think it might be.
0: <laughs> you know, now, nowadays you're foolish if, if you put anything in your body that wasn't um, on that list the trainers give you at the start of the year, right? Got to be
2: incredibly careful. Yeah, well, I know a lot of our listeners, you know, mm-hmm. they when they think about the history of Denver baseball. Before 1993, it was really about the Denver Bears and the Denver Zephyrs, this uh, AAA club for the American Association, Pacific Coast League as well, that you know, it, it had a lot of different incarnations as far as being a minor league affiliate for the Cincinnati Reds, Montreal Expos, Yankees, Milwaukee Braves, even for a period of time. And you know, that was the that was the original that was the genesis of Mile High Stadium where the Broncos play. It was originally Bears Stadium. And they kind of retrofitted it a little bit for for football in there. And you know, we we know this area to be Broncos country. And 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 Goody, you you've come from the East Coast, you know. Out here to Colorado, it's Broncos country, but yet there's still such a strong history of baseball in Denver even before the Rockies.
0: Yeah, and it goes as you guys well know, it goes way even before the Bears and down in Merchants Park, and you know Babe Ruth barnstorming you know through town, and and um, you know some, some some Negro League players, some prominent Negro League players played in Denver. Uh, so Denver. For not having Major League Baseball until '93, um, does have a significant and fairly rich history with the game. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you guys a you it, you just reminded me of it. Um, this is a funny story. I was doing they were they weren't the Bears anymore. They were the Denver Zephyrs. And one of the speaking of mythical size, one of the great you know players in the history of Denver minor league baseball was. Joey Meyer, right? Big Joey Meyer, who hit the ball at Old Mile High Stadium where they still, even when the Broncos were playing and when the Rockies had arrived, they, they still had that seat that was, what was it, like 582 feet from home plate? And Something like
1: that, yeah. I've yeah, seen, seen Paul Parker Meyer. showed me the seat in the, uh, it, it's in the archive somewhere.
0: Right, and, and it was wild. So I would I I would do every year, I don't know, a handful of Zephyr games on television, whatever the, uh, you know, for the incarnation of, of the regional network, maybe it was Prime Sports back then. And we were in Oklahoma City and the Zephyrs were playing the 89ers. Hmm. And, you know, do the game. Nothing remarkable um, happens. And I was back in my hotel room and there's a knock on the door Pretty heavy knock on the door and I was on the phone with my girlfriend at the time you know way before cell phones obviously and I'm, and I'm talking to her and I'm like it's after midnight and I'm like wow that's interesting I said you know hang on a second and I go to the door and you know naturally it's after midnight so I look through that little peephole right <laughs> this sound, this sound like uh, I'm making it up but literally I can't see the face I see like a chest <laughs> and I'm like, oh boy, whatever. So I so I kinda carefully opened the door and it's Joey Meyer. And Joey Meyer, after the game, like players will do, you know, he he had, had a couple, right? And he said happens. And he, you know, he kinda was, I mean, he had he had more than a couple, right? And so he's he said <laughs> he said, Drew, wh- why are you talking about my weight like that? And he was, you know. Not stumbling, but it wasn't, you know, perfect English. Right at that point in time, because he was, you know, a little bit inebriated. And I said, Joey, what are you talking about? And he said, My girlfriend said you were talking, making fun of my weight. And I said, Joey, I would never do that. What are you talking about? And he said, She, she said you made fun of my weight. And I said, well, No, when you came to the plate, I-, I think I remember what I said. I said, Here comes Big Joey Meyer. He's, you know, he's six five, listed at two sixty, 260, two sixty five, maybe two seventy. You know, I kind of. But I was trying to characterize it as just how big you are, and, I, and he goes, "Oh, okay." And he me on the chest, and he goes, "Have a good night." And he turned around, and he walked out the door. I was like, "Whoa!" I, he could have picked me up and thrown me out the window. But um, yeah, Joey Meyer making a, a visit to my room a little after midnight in Oklahoma City. So I'll always remember that.
2: Oof! After you, after you wipe down the sweat yeah. off your head. Yeah, you cool down for about an hour and a half, you you, right. resume going back to bed.
0: Yeah, it was funny when I explained it to him. It, it, he didn't, like, argue at anything. He goes, oh, okay, see you later. He pats me on the chest and then walked out. <laughs> wow. Oh. Yeah. Now, when
2: when you were calling games for the Zephyrs back then, did you get to see a 19-year-old or 20-year-old Gary Sheffield? Because at that time, they were a Brewers affiliate.
0: Yeah, I didn't. You know who I saw Who who became the biggest star of the guys – on, on on that team or the teams when I was around him for a couple of uh, minor league seasons was Greg Vaughn. You guys remember Greg Vaughn? I mean, he hit 50 home runs one year with San Diego. Uh, you know, Big I I'm pretty sure yeah. Vaughn, he hit over 300 home runs in his career. Good dude. He, the, the stars of that team offensively were Greg Vaughn, clearly, and, and a first baseman who I think went to, like, Virginia Tech by the name of George Canale. He, was, he, could, he could swing it. Um, from the left side, uh, never you know. I think he had a cup of coffee or two in the in the big leagues. Never really made it. But the biggest guy that that they had at the time was Greg Vaughn.
2: Yeah, Brewers had some good players uh, during that era. With, with Pat Listash, who won a AL Rookie of the Year, Dave Nielsen, uh, an Australian catcher. Yeah, so they they had some some good players back then. Uh, before that, they were an affiliate with Cincinnati, and you know Paul O'Neill and future Hall of Famer Barry Larkin comes through in, in 1986. So they've they've long had those those kind of great
0: players. Well, well the, the best the best group of talent to go through town was when they were affiliated with the expos. You know and you had you had Cromarty and Reigns and Dawson Ellis Valentine and Ellis Valentine. Um, those teams uh, you know they, they had like a who's who of eventual big league stars. And they had two very good managers, one of which was Terry
2: Francona, who was a player at the time. And Jack McKeon was actually the manager uh, during one of those spells in in 1979. So he later goes on and wins a World Series with the Marlins.
0: Yeah. And and a guy from my youth, he was the backup catcher to Jerry Grody on the 69 Mets and hung around for a few years, Duffy Dyer. And if you guys remember, Duffy Dyer at one point was managing these efforts. Oh I that's the name
2: I don't know. And I There's and I, I know the 69 There's, Mets. Yeah.
1: yeah, well and, and you, you, you would you would think what? you'd remember Duffy Dyer's Duffy Dyer. not a name you forget either. Yeah, that, that name
0: you don't forget. And, and if you grew up in New York, you remember Duffy Dyer. But if you didn't grow up in New York and didn't follow the Mets, you would not remember Duffy Dyer. So
2: before the Expos, you had uh the White Sox were an affiliate for a few years and uh, a young well, actually, he wasn't young. He was thirty years old, going through the minors at this point. But Tony Larusa, if you had gone out to uh, a Bears game in nineteen seventy-five, you'd have seen young. him. Thirty uh, in in yeah in AAA. Uh, that's that's not so good. He'd kind of oh, been Patrick. up and down. He had a very short career.
1: I mean, <laughs> I mean maybe in the broader sense of the world. <laughs> but one of the one of the yeah, cool I things I
2: thirty. I mean, if you're over thirty, that's old. The one thing I did on Earth that I thought that was interesting. <laughs> was that when uh, they were a Senators affiliate, they didn't really have too many good Senators come through the Denver Bears at that point, but they had an exhibition back when you know teams would do that kind of in the middle of the season with their minor league affiliates. Of course, you know, we saw at the beginning of the 2019 season where the Rockies took on the ice Topes down in Albuquerque, but the Senators actually came to Denver uh, to play. So Senators versus the Bears and the manager of the Senators at that time on June 9th, 1970 was uh, Teddy Ballgame, Mister Ted Williams. That's right.
0: Yeah, there, there. Again, there's some names that that had a moment on a Denver on a Denver field uh, through the years, and there's um, it, it probably surprises some people, some of the people that uh, some of the folks that came through town and and played in Denver. I know Satchel Page played in Denver, you know, going way back. So uh, I, I think. One of the other things, fellas, when I remember when, you know, it was 1991 and they were, it was right before then and they were trying to determine who was going to get expansion teams. There were a lot of cities in the running and it felt like Bill White, who was the National League president, wasn't so gung ho on Denver. I think a lot of people were concerned about not only the weather, but they were concerned about, you know, would would people out here support baseball. And now we all know what happened. They set every attendance record in the history of baseball. The Rockies continue to draw exceptionally well. And and the team that was a foregone conclusion that was, or the city that was going to get a team foregone conclusion was South Florida. And we know how they have struggled and struggled to put fans in seats, even with the new ballpark. Um, So it's, it's kind of ironic. And maybe they should have looked deeper at the history of baseball uh, in denver prior to obviously awarding unfortunately they did uh, the rockies to uh, to our city and our region
1: all right well i think i got back in <laughs> i gotta take advantage of uh, the fact that i'm in here and in real time let's take some bets now on whether or not this will continue whether or not i can stay clean in the rest of the podcast or you guys will have to carry this thing without me i don't think they allow that on DraftKings Sportsbook, sports book but they do allow betting for all Kinds of other stuff. Whether you're into, we you're into the baseball, or the football, uh, getting close to wrapping up here. But there's also you can bet on UFC. Patrick and I were just texting each other before the show, trying to figure out if we can give people WWE bets. Don't know if that's a thing out there yet or not, or whether or not that would even be wise. But still, just about anything. Yeah, they had stuff for KBO. You know when that was going on, and uh, all kinds of stuff. I think at one point, they you bet on the Bachelor. Uh right now, they got a huge prizes if you enter the DraftKings Super Bowl Prediction Challenge. Once you, once you submit your picks, you get a free instant prize and up to $25,000. That's right. Download the DraftKings app now and use promo code DNVR to enter the free $55 million Super Bowl Prediction Challenge. Everyone gets an instant prize of up to $25,000 for playing, so use promo code DNVR now and enter that free $55 million Super Bowl challenge. Of course, terms and conditions apply, eligibility restrictions. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. And if a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700.
0: Will DraftKings allow me to uh, take Kansas City and lay the points um, against Buffalo? And can I take um, Tampa Bay with the points over Green Bay? Will they still accept that bet? They will. They do. Uh, they
2: are very little. They are lenient <laughs> on the time machine policy. So if you hop in that that bad boy, you hop in your DeLorean <laughs> with Biff sports almanac, you can go back and you Here can go. And bet on just about anything. Yeah. Now did did you have that matchup? Did you have Chiefs? Uh,
0: I I at the start of the postseason tournament, I took Green Bay to play Buffalo. So you were there. Uh, you know, I'm sol. But you know that what? Close, I was that close. Uh, <laughs> it was
1: missed it by that much. Yeah,
0: I, yeah. yeah. I bet on the wrong Hall of Fame quarterback.
2: Well, I'm on a hot streak right that now. Is. I've I've got four wow. four playoff games in a row. I had had Bills and Browns in, in the wild card round, uh, and and doubled down on the Bucks the last two weeks. Figure Tom Brady's going to get it done. You'll have to wait till next week for. My Super Bowl pick, but my DraftKings sportsbook pick of the week. I'm going back to to soccer. I'm going back to Tottenham, and they got a big game this week against Liverpool. Drew, you, do you follow the yellow? No, I, I
1: used to, and Super I. I uh, oh, yeah, other true. You know, I could
0: different. talk some sort of uh, story right now, but the uh, short winded answer would be no.
1: <laughs> I big, saw the look no. on your
0: face, like
2: oh, Tottenham. What, what, what is it?
0: Well, at about? least I've heard of the teams, you know, <laughs> you know Arsenal, Man City, right? Um, so yeah, I, I, I no, I, I don't even, I don't even <laughs> have enough knowledge to be dangerous.
2: There you go. Well, well, this is dangerous because I, I'm going to win you, win you some money. I, I, I can, I can pick final scores pretty well. I'm, I'm two for two on that. And so uh-huh. I'm going to go Tottenham over Liverpool. It's at White Hart Lane. They're at home. They won two of their last three on the bounce. Liverpool's struggling a little bit. Uh, it's going to get them up into the U- Europa League qualifier there. So one nothing Tottenham plus 1,000 right now. Or if you want to do a $10 bet, wow. you'll win 100 bucks. Even if you just want to go straight win with Tottenham, it's plus 235. So my DraftKings Sportsbook pick of the week, I'm going with the score, one nothing against Arsenal in North London for plus 1,000.
1: Amazing. Once Tottenham never lets you down, right? They don't.
0: No. They
2: don't. Come on, you Spurs. You it's a
1: it's a <laughs> if you nail another exact score on one of these, I'm going to start watching well, these games.
0: Listen, Patrick's a sharp dude. We all know that. But come on, it's soccer. It's either one nothing or two, <laughs> one. I mean, yeah. you two scores you can pick. It's not like, wow, they won eight to five today. Right? <laughs> Rarely happens, yeah. Yeah. Because ninety percent of the games
2: end zero zero. Yeah, but it's an exciting zero zero. No,
0: no, no, no. It's nil. It's nil nil.
2: You do know your soccer, yeah. to Say, selling yourself short.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, oh, fantastic. Well, to get
2: back to the get back to our conversation. All right,
1: baseball.
2: Baseball started here in Denver professionally in 1886. Two clubs: Denver Mountain Lions. And the Leadville Blues, believe it or not, as high of an altitude as Coors Field can be, and as much as people might complain about the fly balls leaving the ballpark, imagine hitting a pop up to left Baseball
1: field in, in Leadville.
0: Leadville. Let's go. That, is, that literally is double the altitude. It's the highest, in, you know, incorporated town in in America. It's over ten thousand feet. So yeah, I mean, a uh, a fly ball three hundred and what, it would probably go what is 20% farther? I don't know. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh, all right. Jo- Joey Meyer would have been great. a problem in, in 1886. <laughs> Joey Joe Joe across turquoise. <laughs> Lose. <laughs> Lose.
2: <laughs> he, he no doubt about it. Now, oh, one of my, my favorite stories, uh, a really great book uh, I read uh, many years ago, and it's about A.G. Spalding. You know, we all know sporting goods of, of Spaulding. Spalding. Well, he, uh, he decided he wanted to go on a, a world tour, again, to, to kind of sell some of his merchandise. And from October 1888 to April 1889, he conducted a 57-game world tour. Okay, so he went all across the United States. But he also played exhibition games in Hawaii, New Zealand, Australia, Egypt, where I believe Cap Anson threw a baseball over the Sphinx. Yeah, this is this is all on 1888, and one of the first places that they played was in Colorado Springs. They had an exhibition game. The greatest baseball stars of that time, when they they were they were planning out this worldwide tour, they said, "We got to go to Colorado Springs, and we got to go to Denver." That's part of our history.
0: Yeah, interesting. And I know if you include the rest of the state. Um, deep history of baseball in Pueblo, Colorado. I mean, it's a great, it remains a great baseball town. They had minor league baseball back in Pueblo. You mentioned Colorado Springs and, and I, and I've said this many times, you know, some of it's a little bit more recent with the junior college world series. uh, But grand junction is a tremendous baseball town in our state. I mean, regularly we used to televise that many years ago and some great players, uh, have gone through there in the junior college world series. But even though they didn't have a local team, usually there'd still be 9,000 people every night during that junior college world series tournament. And that stays, you know, that's, that's true to this day.
1: Yeah. Juco out there is uh and, and that's where I grew up more or less and uh, just a little bit outside the area, but it's like, even people that aren't into baseball go to Juco. It's the thing to do that time of year. It's, it's like a, a local, you know, whatever your festival is and whatever town you have, it's a big week long, maybe you do an arts and jazz festival or a, or a film festival or, or something. And JUCO is that week where the entire area becomes about baseball and everybody goes to the games. And it's uh, yeah, great, rich history of guys like Kirby Puckett uh, come through there and uh, Bryce Harper. Uh, pretty recently, uh, you know, saw Bryce Harper hitting with metal bats. If you lived in Grand Junction and, and came out, and, to, that, that and, was something else.
0: And Drew, uh, you'd already been over here on this side of the the hills, but Bryce Harper, famously, he's playing for Southern Nevada, got got ejected from the was I think it was a championship game. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he got ejected because he drew. The, this is verboten. The pitch he <laughs> thought was inside, it was called a strike by the umpire. He took his bat and he drew a line where he thought the ball crossed, which was inside,
1: and that's automatic. Boom. Yeah, he got tossed. Get him out of there. Yeah, it was like big local news. That's like the start of Grand Junction. Like, welcome to the five o'clock news tonight. Baseball star Bryce Harper thrown out of Juco is like the biggest thing. The day before he was, it was opening the news that he was like hitting balls into the parking lot. Cause you know how Sam yeah. Saplesio is set up out there. You yeah. literally hit home runs into the parking lot. And there's a little bit of space between where the cars actually are. And so if you get one out, let's say the equivalent of hitting one off the back of the wall, like at, at the Rockies bullpen or whatever, you're probably not going to hit any cars, but if you're getting double decker, triple decker shots, and Bryce Harper was doing damage to cars. <laughs> <laughs> I believe we all,
2: we all saw Story do that with that 505-foot shot that bounced into the parking lot. We, we dodged a bullet on that one.
0: That, that was remarkable. I've seen a few that, that have hit the concourse and gone into the players' parking lot through the years. That was that three-homer game for Trevor a couple of years ago. <laughs> And I've all, I've said this many times on the air that I don't know there there, there had to have been some rule or unwritten rule you can't have a 500 foot home run because there have been some balls you know Mike Piazza's and you know cargos in the upper deck uh, you know the walk off against Chicago to finish his cycle I mean there's some balls you're like okay if that's not 500 and something feet I don't know distance. And so they finally they finally said, "Okay, we'll give Trevor five hundred and five feet." Um, but yeah, all he had to
1: do was fall down on his butt while hitting it to do it. Yeah. That was incredible. I'm sure he's got several more in him before he's done. That's the truth.
2: Yeah, we talked about junior college, World Series there, and and Goody as as you mentioned the the great Negro League ballplayers that came through as part of what was the Denver Post tournament, which was. Um, this, this fantastic kind of semi-pro uh, World Series, they, they, they call it the Little World Series, had a lot of different nicknames. And this was a, a, a kind of a barnstorming tournament of the, the best teams that you know, were kind of unaffiliated going around and playing against each other. And we saw Satchel Paige uh, coming on, on three separate occasions with the Negro National League All-Stars. Um, you know, even played with uh, this interesting team of, of religious folks called the House of David they've they've got big long beards and uh, a bunch of white guys it, it's kind of scary if, if you see these guys um, I, won't, I won't get too down the rabbit hole but but check out House of David uh, they put together a lot of really fantastic teams and you know they they paid pretty well so of course satch was going to play with them for at least one of the Denver post tourneys
0: that's it it's there is a there's a grand history. Um, the the late Frank Haraway. I don't know if you guys were around yet to get to know Frank. He wrote for the Denver Post forever, and then later on in life, he was. Uh, I think he did some official scorekeeping early on for the Rockies. And Frank and his late wife June, um, you know, they were always in the press box. And uh, Frank lived. I want to say he may he may have eclipsed ninety and just a wonderfully nice man. But but forever had been a journalist, a sports journalist in town. And and Frank, um, I I hope I'm I'm right in this, but he grew up. I want to say he got polio early, so he, you know, he dealt his whole life with um, having you know struggling a little bit. He was on crutches, you know, his whole life. And um, Babe Ruth came to town on one of those barnstorming tours. And, um, he got to, as a kid meet Babe Ruth because Babe Ruth, you know, was doing some nice, you know, charitable things with, you know, some kids that had been struggling and he signed a baseball for Frank and Frank had the baseball, he said, for really only a short period of time because he was, you know, in in the street as a kid. And even though he had, had crutches, you know, he was playing a little bit and and watching some other kids play. And they, and they had the baseball and they threw the baseball and ended up going down the gutter.
2: Hey, they should make a movie about something like that. You know, that's interesting.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, that was, uh, that was a story. I remember Frank, you know, telling me as a kid, he had this Babe Ruth baseball. Can you imagine what that thing would have been worth years later?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Ruth played at, at Merchants Park in 1922 and 1927. And, uh, I was actually one of only like, three players to hit a ball out over the center field fence, measured at 500 feet at Merchants Park, hit, hit one out. And correct me if I'm wrong, Goody, but uh, again, the, the only way I know Frank Haraway's name is it's on the press box. Every day that that we go into Coors Field, right in that doorway, it says, you know, the yeah. Frank Haraway's press, Memorial press, box. press box. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's, you know, I didn't even think about that, but you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. No. Rightfully so, it was named after Frank, who you guys would have loved. I mean, uh, he's just such a warm, nice guy. and You know, he covered everything, but he loved baseball. He adored baseball. And um, and as I said, you know, normally, you know, you know people aren't going to be able to bring their wives or their significant other to, um, you know, the press box. We're all working, right? But because Frank was that, that guy much later on in life, naturally, in, in June, was always by his side i mean they were they were married it was literally they probably married like 75 years something crazy like that and, and june june sat in the back of the press box uh every night and you know mike swanson who's now at the royals who was the pr director then they tell you stories jay alvis who, who was the pr director after could tell you a lot of stories about uh about the Haraways. good good people
2: Yeah. You love to hear about those folks that are kind of behind the scenes a little bit and, uh, aren't, aren't exactly the ones in in the forefront. Um, yeah. You know, just finishing up on the Denver post, you know, Rogers Hornsby was another guy in 1936 who had played Josh Gibson, uh, in cool, Papa bell, Turkey Stearns, those guys were with the Negro league, uh, national all-stars and, uh, and an interesting gentleman that, uh, I, I know I, always want to learn more about there hasn't been too much written about him but grover cleveland alexander old pete uh was was a fantastic ball player in his day he's he's the guy when you go and look at uh, i think it was you know 1936 when they got all the living hall of famers and you see all 11 of those guys and they're all old you see ty cobb a little shriveled up babe ruth uh grover cleveland alexander is the one with the jet black full head of hair and you go this this guy uh, i want to know a little bit more about him he's interesting
0: yeah, maybe a little bit ahead of his time. I, you know I'd like to, I'd like to see. You know, great for me in is great, whatever era it it's in. And I and I always say that you know players in twenty twenty one, you know, should be better than than players in in nineteen twenty one because we know so much more about training and diet and 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 how to get strong and in the in the swing and, and the tools we have to get better at the craft of hitting a baseball or throwing a baseball. But having said that, I'd still like to see, you know, the velocities of the the big train, Walter Johnson, or, you know, watch, um, you know, some guys from that era, Cy Young throw the baseball and how these guys threw, you know, ungodly amounts of innings and, and uh, you know, some of the, you know, Mordecai three-finger Brown and, and some of these players from, you know, uh, literally 100 years ago now.
2: Yeah. yeah, it's funny how you talk about the training regimen of, of players nowadays because, uh, you know, old Pete, Grover, Cleveland, Alexander, you know, uh, that was a different time where, you know, to, to show a certain amount of weakness, you know, wasn't a good thing. So he suffered from epileptic seizures. And at the time, the thing that kind of kept that in check for him was drinking copious amounts of alcohol, so he was, you know, quite a big boozer, and that was more acceptable than his seizures. And yet, he still pitched twenty seasons. He pitched until the age of twenty three and had three hundred and seventy three career wins. Yeah, that's
1: magical powers of Breck Brew.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: hey, nicely done, right? Nice yeah. <laughs> I missed the opportunity with the Joey Meyer story earlier for that to have been brought to you by Breckenridge Brewery. So really a couple opportunities to get in there today.
0: (laughs) Yeah. There's, um, as you said, there's been some, some really some legendary figures that have played here um, that have gone through town. And I also think, you know, given what we do now for a living, do you guys ever stop and pause and say, when... You know the angels, for instance, are in town, and and Mike Trout's there, or Albert Pujols. Now on the you know on on the 18th fairway or green of his career, and you'd say, wow, you know what? I'm watching, I'm watching one of the all timers. I mean, a hundred years from now, people will talk about Albert Pujols. People will look back and go, Well you know, wow, look at the numbers that guy put up. They'll talk about Mike Trout, and and we all are are privileged you know, to get to sit in the ballpark and watch, you know, some of those players. And, you know, that's not lost on me because now, you know, we, we talk about, you know, players like Josh Gibson and Babe Ruth and Ted Williams and mention all of these historic names. Well, at some point in time, 30, 50, 70 years down the road, some of these guys we're watching, they're going to be mentioned in the same breath.
1: Right. Yeah. I've I've told the story a couple of times about when uh, Tracy Ringlesby was kind enough to introduce me to Albert Pujols shortly after he had, uh, it it was 3,000 hits or was it 500 home runs? It was right right after the 500th home run he had done just a couple days before. Then the team was out in Denver. And, you know, I just happened to be down on the field like you are before during BP and people are walking around and talking and I may have strategically stood in the right place to <laughs> see whether or not, uh, you know, cause yeah, that's one of the guys, you know, I, I, I regret never having been able to really meet each hero. I'm not sure what I would have done. You know, I, we, we were there for the 3000th hit, uh, you know, took that one in. Um, but I'll tell you another big one for me was, cause when I came into this, I, I've talked about this before, you know, like Nolan was his rookie year, was kind of my rookie year as well, like doing this, right? So th- there wasn't that thing yet. And people know I came from being a fan beforehand, but really the one guy who was there, who I had this kind of aura, this awe of, that I had to get around going into that clubhouse was Carlos Gonzalez. He was just such an institution, such a a, a thing. And and you know how gracious and wonderful Cargo was and how how he was able to completely put that at ease. Had it been a different star level player, who knows how the the beginning of my career might have gone, you know, uh, very differently. But he was one of those guys that I thought and and still thought throughout. Don't take this for granted, what this guy has accomplished in this game, what he means to this city, to this town, to this team and what he's willing to give the time that he's willing to give. Take advantage of that, because as we see now, he's not going to be around forever. I only got a couple of years to interview him. So. Yeah. Just as you were talking about it right now, I, I well,
0: cargo. You, know, you mentioned cargo and, you know, I, I've been, this will be year 20 for me, 20, uh, 2021 will be my 20th season, you know, doing the Rockies and I was around them, you know, prior to that pre and post game shows, that sort of thing. And I will tell you that, you know, I hope I'm around another, you know, 20 years that, that I, uh, you know, hopefully they don't kick me out, but, um, I, I guarantee you when we have this conversation in 20 years, I will tell you it when I it asked, hey, who's your all-time favorite, Rocky? Um, you know, Cargo is going to be right near the – if not at the top of the list, he's going to be one or two because he's such a – I use a Yiddish word. Uh, he, he's such a mensch. He's, a, he's such a wonderful guy. Um, and, you know, as great as he was, especially in that period of time, Drew, when, when you first arrived – uh, he just, it's kind of like Hank Aaron. I know he's not in the class of Hank Aaron or, you know, well, there's nobody really in that class, but, <laughs> sure. but what I saying I mean, listen, he was, he had a great career. He had a really good career. He's not going to be a hall of famer, but he had a really good career. And he, he was, he would make you feel very comfortable. He was just a naturally, he is a naturally warm person, a naturally thoughtful person. And, um, he uh, he's just he's just wonderful, and he came, it came through the screen. Whether people were privileged enough to get to know him, like the three of us, or folks at home who watched The Rockies on a regular basis, you could tell, man, that's a nice person. That's a good human. And we talked to Trevor Story. If you, I'm sure you guys have about this. Trevor Story still to this day gets texts all the time from Cargo. They talk regularly. He loves him to death. He was instrumental in, him, in helping Trevor make the transition to be a big leaguer. And it wasn't just with Trevor. He, he did it with so many uh, young players that came uh, after him. He's he's always going to be uh, one of my all-time favorite athletes that uh, I had the opportunity to, to deal with. My,
2: my quick cargo story is it was my my first game going into the clubhouse. They're playing the A's who, you know, he, he played – his rookie season with. And after the, the scrum of reporters kind of moved away, I stuck around for my question and probably only uttered the words. So A's you played there, held out, you know, the microphone and they gave me three minutes of gold. And I was like, this guy is a saint. He's amazing.
0: Yeah, and he uh, – listen, you guys know this too. There are, there are guys in all sports that if, you know, it's a bad night, whether it be a bad night for the team or a bad night individually or a bad run, all of a sudden they're not as accessible. You know, they're not in front of their locker 20 minutes after the game. Cargo, uh, win or lose, good or bad, uh, was always available. And oftentimes he may have been one of the only ones available. Mm-hmm. In, t- in some tough times. And that is never lost on, especially you guys. I'm not going to say, you know, I'm aware of it, but you know, I'm, you know, I don't go in the clubhouse typically after the game, you know, we have our post-game interviews and that sort of stuff, but, but guys who write guys that that are you know, uh, going in the clubhouse to get sound or to get something for a story after you guys know who's around every night and yeah. cargo was accountable.
2: You know, before we get to our our final little tent poll on on Denver's rich baseball history and and you know everything that happened before the Rockies, let's let's just kind of touch on and and you kind of phrased it in a sense. You know, Trout and Pujols when they come to the ballpark, it becomes this must see viewing of saying, "Hey, you know what? Without the Rockies being here, without the Rockies existing, when are you going to get an opportunity to see these players from the other 29 cities around the game?" For for you. Who are some of the players you know, in your your twenty plus years of of covering baseball in, in Colorado that really has taken your breath away, or just seem larger than life, or really have just been spectacular performers and, and get you excited to see in, in that opposing dugout?
0: Yeah, I, I will say you know you mentioned Mike Trout, so it's kind of at the forefront of my mind. I remember the I, I don't want I I, it may have been the first time he came to Denver, guys. He went something like, you know, six for – or eight for 14 in the three-game series against the Rockies. He had a – he had a bunt single against the Rockies where he got up the line in and, and from the right side. And I want to say three, six, nine. And Dino Ebel, who's now at the Dodgers coaching third, but he coached uh, third under Mike Sosha for a long, long time. And I asked him the next day, I said, Dino, I said – I. We ran this back and forth, and I like to do that. I like to do pop times and and other stuff that you know, whatever. I'm a baseball nerd in that standpoint. From that standpoint, mm-hmm. night, I said, "Am I right?" He goes, "Oh yeah." He goes three six nine. He goes earlier this year. We had him in under three six. This, if you're four two, going up the line from the right side of the box, pretty solid. He, yeah. I mean, so he, and then if you meet him, you know, yeah, he's six two which is, you know, bigger than the average guy, certainly. What you don't realize is because guys wear baggier uniforms now, and I've asked him this. So this is not just looking at the back of a baseball card or on baseball reference. Mike Trout plays around 240 pounds. Mike Trout looks like an inside linebacker. His legs are enormous. I mean, he's got the foot, you know, no neck. I mean, you don't you okay. tell how big his his arms are and everything because things are baggier now. Right. Guys, guys are men's. Other names that, that come to mind re, that you go, wow, this is this is special. And, and especially getting to talk to them. Um, Tony Gwynn, who was so engaging and would talk to you about the game and was, you know, such a bright, uh, you know, individual and bright light and. and love talking baseball, love talking about the, the art of hitting. Um, Those two certainly come to mind. This one's going to sound strange and I'm just, you know, I didn't know you guys were going to ask me this particular question, but I will always look back and I know this guy is such a controversial figure. And you guys are going to talk about him tomorrow probably because you're going to talk about how many votes he got. Barry Bonds is the greatest hitter I have ever seen, and it ain't close. It's not close. And to have the opportunity to watch him play and call a lot of games that the Rockies were playing the Giants and see him come to the plate and spit on pitches and walk to first, spit on pitches, walk to first, and then he'd get that one pitch a night, and it wouldn't be a line drive to center field for a single. He'd hit it 450. And it would happen, as we all know, time after time after time. And his, his discipline at the play and his, you know, his unbelievable ability of putting the fat part of the bat on the baseball, uh, remarkable. But listen, Albert Pujols, again, guy we mentioned, you, you realize they're great players and then they're guys that are, you know, yeah. at, at a different level. So, yeah those, yeah, those those are certainly a few that come to mind right away. Randy Johnson, man. Clayton, even yeah. Clayton Kershaw, one of the greatest games I've ever seen pitched when he, when he no-hit the Rockies. And a no-hitter is always going to be special. But if you look up the Bill James game score on that ball game that Clayton Kershaw twirled the no-hitter against the Rockies, that's one of the all-timers now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I love game score, too, as a stat. That's one of those ones I, I think is underrated. Marquez put up a huge one in San Francisco the other year. And, you yes, know, he
0: did. Yes, he uh, did. herman has got that ability, too. Mm-hmm. Mark's got that ability to,
1: you know, throw a no-hitter and punch out 15. I hope we see it. This I, year. I was going to say, I'm I'm ready to see it. I, I really thought he was going to be in that Cy Young contention this last year, and uh, I think he did, too, had that one 10-run Game that that really messed him up, but Mark Marquez has got some special stuff in there that we're yet to see. Yeah. yeah.
2: All right. So the so the last domino that we got before the Rockies are, are, are given birth, if you will, in, in, in 1993, was an event by uh, that was it was crafted by promoter Barry Fay, who uh, in, famously in the summer of '69 uh, promoted the Denver Pop Festival at Mile High Stadium. Jimi Hendrix performed there. Um, just huge crowds and, and did wonders for, you know, Red Rocks. And he decided to dip his toe in, in, in baseball, if you will. And so on the evening of September 30th, 1983 at mile high stadium was the Denver dream. And those watching live, this is a a photograph of a program that I have from that day. No, I was not there at that event. Uh, but (laughs) nevertheless, it was an event with 19 living hall of famers who played, he he gathered all of them up, all of uh, whom was retired, Uh, had a national league of all-stars and American league of all-stars, seven uh, hall of famers at that point for the American league, Larry Doby, Joe DiMaggio coach, third base, Whitey Ford, Brooks Robinson, Ted Williams. The NL was completely stacked. Aaron Banks, Lou Brock, Willie Mays, McCovey, Musial, Santo, Warren Spahn, you even had an umpire, Al Barlick, who's a Hall of Famer and completely sold out 60,000 people. And it, it was absolutely fantastic. And, and even within that program, there was kind of, you know, uh, uh, the gauntlet, where I think, was thrown down just a little bit. And again, you could see this advertisement that just said the nation's pastime is Denver's pastime. And we want the whole country to know. So the Metro Sports Committee, and the Denver Chamber of Commerce, coming together to say, "Hey, when it comes time, and even if we, even if we can't wait, we'll we'll take a team from someone other, some other city if we have to." But Denver is a baseball city, and sure enough, less than ten years later, it it officially was on the map.
0: Yeah, I was I was looking behind me a, a moment ago because, um, you know, unfortunately Barry's no longer with us. But you know, Barry wrote a book about. Uh, you know, all the stories from being one of the foremost, you know, rock promoters in the country. And, you know, he promoted that baseball event that you just spoke of and and Barry could pull him in. And uh, he has, you know, go down to tattered cover. I'm sure you can still get your hands on, on that book that Barry wrote. He was, he was a fascinating guy, but that's a, that's a slew of hall of fame. It's hard to, it's hard to get three people, you know, together on a zoom call these days to get them all to, uh, all to come right? together in Denver. That was special.
1: Yes. Got to do more stuff like that.
0: Zoom calls. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done with zoom
1: calls. I was going to say, I'm, I'm pretty over those, uh, the, the, uh, legends games that we got. I know a lot of teams will do like their own like legends days or whatever, but let's get them out there on the... we've all seen Vinny and BP. He <laughs> can still whack it. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I. Freeman was ready to get out there. We had Marvin Freeman on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. He's ready to huck it. I, we, bet, we, I bet you Marvin still looks great. Yeah. Oh yeah. What do you oh, say? He yeah. still throw eighty five. I believe said, it because he said he's out there with the kids t- hitting eighty five with the I,
0: I believe it, Marvin. Marvin, you could just tell he was one of those guys who was always going to look good and be in shape. And um, so I, I'll tell you who could still you know hit a ball a country mile is Dante Bichette yeah could still Dante remember the year he was Walt Weiss's hitting coach Dante would take b p periodically still hit moonshots and he would still every once in a while try to replicate his one handed just with his top hand hit trying to hit the ball out with one hand he could still do it, and this was you know a uh, several years after
1: he was out of the game. That's how strong he was. that's amazing yeah. I did want to, before we get out of here with some of the history stuff, if I don't mention Hall of Famer Smokey Joe Wood, who was from Uray, Colorado, more or less, grew up in that area. I've been out there a couple of times. My parents are married in Uray. They've got a great little museum out there. You can go and see his jersey. I was trying to find a picture I took of it, but couldn't. But yeah, Smokey Joe Wood from Uray, a tiny little mountain town, beautiful place if you get out there. There's um
0: that reminded me where is where where was uh, was it Jack Dempsey or who who's from a tiny what famous boxer from literally 100
1: years ago was from was from a small Colorado town. That sounds right. I'll see if I can find it real quick.
2: Not Everett Marshall or Carol Hardy. No, I
0: don't
2: uh her name's now.
0: I'm pretty sure it's Jack Dempsey from a tiny town and I was going to defer to Drew on this one cuz he he grew up in Manasa,
1: Colorado. There you go. I don't I've never been there. Have you ever been there, Drew? No. I don't I don't know no, no. it. There you go. So even the okay. even, even the Colorado native is going,
0: ooh. I have no idea about anybody else in that community, but we're gonna say it's a tough town because it it uh, spawned Jack Dempsey. It have to be. It'd have to be a tough town.
2: Yeah. And, and you know what? Goose Gossage, you know, we'd be remiss if we if we didn't talk about Denver baseball history and and talk about him, you know, going to school down in Colorado Springs, CSU Pueblo, of course. But, um, again, just so much great, rich history that I'm really looking forward to the completion of McGregor Square and uh, the Hall of Fame that they've got proposed in there because I think it's really going to bring the history uh, of the Colorado Rockies out to. to so many new generations of, of fans and they'll just be just much greater appreciation for, you know, what, what's gone on in, in this city uh, in the past hundred
0: plus years. Yeah. That whole, that whole thing is going to be pretty neat because uh, eventually when we get back to normal, they can have concerts there, but the hall of fame, uh, you know, kind of the Colorado baseball hall of fame, um, that will be, that'll be special. You know, people will be able to go to that and then wander over to the ballpark and catch a ball game. Uh, mm-hmm. It's, it's going to be good stuff
1: something something to look forward to something we all need in these times and I am very much looking forward to it uh did want to ask you obviously on this day before we get out of here uh, about the announcement. I guess if we're going to call it that the or lack, lack of thereof announcement. <laughs> yeah <laughs> really that uh, as we've been talking here and and people in the comments have noted nobody elected into the Hall of Fame no one was able to make the 75 percent of ballots necessary to gain induction this year uh just just what mr goodman just what are your thoughts on that just at the at the tops yeah well first
0: of all i know you didn't literally mean that don't ever call me mr
1: uh, <laughs> mr goodman uh, well, no now that we're on the official business here all right mr goodman yeah. can you give me an, an answer here for nobody and also this note: i saw somebody and i haven't double checked this somebody in the comments said that 14 empty ballots 14 ballots were turned in with nobody's name check. Yeah. Uh, the the,
0: the voting is always going to be controversial in, in baseball, but I'm going to give you two reasons. I really like the results this year. One, it underscores something we all talked about, I think a week ago in how special and unique the hall of fame is in Cooperstown. It truly is difficult to get there. There's not a, 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 a a requisite number that has to be um, elected every year, which, you know, in some other sports, that is the case. So if you get elected, it really, I mean, I'm not to say it doesn't mean something if it's the NFL or the NHL or the, or the Basketball Hall of Fame, which encompasses both professional and, and collegiate. Um, but that's what really makes it even more special, I think, in baseball. So this year, No one one collected 75%. They didn't warrant bringing anybody in in this class. The other reason that I think it's super special because of the pandemic, uh, a guy that will always be dear to all Rockies and fans, Larry Walker, will will have that day along with one of the all-timers, we understand, Derek Jeter. And that class won't share it. It won't be like a a multitude of guys because now it's a a two-year celebration. And so I think it's appropriate that it worked out that way. And we also know, um, you know, fingers are crossed that when that day rolls around in July, uh, you know, the greater part of the tri-state area can migrate north to Cooperstown to celebrate, obviously, Derek Jeter. And and a good portion of Canada and hopefully a great number of folks from our region can make it to the little hamlet of Cooperstown, New York. And they will have the biggest crowds they've ever had to celebrate, uh, you know, a few other guys also, but, but most notably, you know, Jeter and, and Walker. And I'm glad that they'll have the stage um, somewhat to themselves that weekend.
2: Yeah, it is quite fitting in that way. Uh, again, Ted Simmons and, and Marvin Miller uh, also getting in that that it, it preserves that class to be exactly as it is, and and hopefully we do get to hear that speech from from Larry Walker, and it, and it doesn't get postponed another year because that's 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 something that he deserves and is something that is is to behold. And there's so many great speeches, and that that's the culmination of your career, and. Yeah
0: i'm gonna i'm gonna tease him. i'm gonna shoot him a text here coming up and say hey you better not screw this thing up you've only had like 16 months to work yeah right (laughs) Right? yeah
2: Yeah, good thing he doesn't have stage fright i mean i don't maybe he does
1: but i mean geez oh man uh yeah no i i understand the people out there who feel like you know who are a bit frustrated by this who are going hey look there's hall of famers on this ballot." and we we all said you know, last week, that we believe there are, are Hall of Famers on this ballot, and uh, you know, but but I'm with you for all of those reasons. It's you know, I uh, some of the guys who weren't as close, I, th- I think, are are not there. This is an interesting note that I did just see come across, and Bob Nightingale tweeted it out that Kurt Schilling has said he will not participate in the final year of voting, releasing a letter to the Hall of Fame saying, "I am requesting to be removed from the ballot. I'll defer to the Veterans Committee." and men whose opinions actually matter and who are in a position to actually judge a player.
0: Yeah, the term warm and fuzzy will will never apply (laughs) to (laughs) Curt Schilling. Did he have a Hall of Fame baseball career? You know, he separated from his his rhetoric and wherever you stand on some of the things where he's making stance, has made stance. Yeah, I mean, there's some people that are unsavory that are in the Hall of Fame. Uh, You know, he's entitled to his opinion. He had a Hall of Fame career in my mind in pitching a baseball. Um, Barry Bonds, you know how I feel on that unequivocally. is the best hitter I've seen. He's a Hall of Famer. Uh, I, I think Gary Sheffield, by the way, is a Hall of Famer. I think there's no question that Roger Clemens is a Hall of Famer. Um, And I think also closer to home, Todd Helton is a Hall of Famer. And I'll repeat what I said with you guys last week. There was a time and people would ask me shortly, you know, after he retired or around the time he was retiring, I would get this question frequently. Do you think Todd will get to the Hall of Fame? And I would be encouraging and diplomatic in my response, but privately I felt like he's not going to get in because of the huge bias that exists existed about Coors Field and Altitude and still exists but to a lesser degree and now I firmly believe though it didn't happen as we all know this year I firmly believe that that Todd will be a Hall of Famer and deservedly a Hall of Famer.
2: Yeah he comes away with 45 percent of the vote so a nice jump for him and you know yesterday on our DNVR Rockies podcast we kind of announced our ballot of who we would vote for and you know i I've, I've never actually sat down to do something even though it's theoretical right it's it's unofficial you know i i've never had to kind of put that that invisible ink to paper and you know 50% of hall of famers were not elected into the hall of fame they came in they got in through veterans committees and and just like you put it Goody, uh bonds clemens all those guys they are hall of famers and one day they will get into the hall of fame but will they get in on the backs of the writers who have to vote with integrity and sportsmanship and all these things? And I don't think that'll be the case for them. They'll get in eventually, but not in, uh, not through an election. Whereas our guy Todd Helton absolutely will get in. Uh, he's he's already at a point in which you know for a second year player having gotten over twenty percent of the vote everyone except gil hodges has gotten into the hall of fame and and i'm sure there'll be some numbers about getting 45 percent or more uh after your your third year so he's he's trending upward and and it, it should be a very short while before he gets in those other guys they're gonna have to wait i think a long time but todd helton is, a, is in a much better position to be enshrined in cooperstown this year
0: yeah i uh I, I think that's the best news that that comes out of this. yeah um, and, and obviously, we are you know biased in in our motivation. Um, but um, Todd deserves to be there and and i and I think that it's pretty clear, as you basically illustrated um, looking historically at when guys make that kind of jump, that eventually they'll eclipse a the seventy five uh, percent mark. That's why it's not a frivolous statement. You know, Drew. When we talk about, it, he was a first ballot Hall of Famer. Albert Pujols, we know, is a first ballot Hall of Famer. The guys that are that are playing right now, you can go slam the gavel down. They're going in the first time they get on the ballot. Last year, we knew Derek Jeter was going to, you know, be unanimous or close to unanimous. The same thing with with Mariano Rivera, who became the first unanimous um, guy. There, so there there is a demarcation. There's, they're all Hall of Famers, but you know the. There's the guys in the penthouse of the mm-hmm. of the condos uh, when it comes to the Hall of Famers, right? Right. And, and Papo Holtz will be, you know, in that group, and Todd Helton will be a Hall of Famer one day.
1: Yeah. Oh, I always like the analogy, you know, of the the basketball stadium because it just works so well, right? Because about twenty thousand people have played in the history of Major League Baseball. That's about what you're going to get in, you know a average basketball stadium you can kind of picture a 20,000 seat stadium and then you've got like 130 something now players and 200 something now people who are in the hall of fame well that gives you the first like several rows of one section of a basketball and then you've got those one percenters right Hank Aaron Albert Pujols Babe Ruth those are the guys who are sitting in the very front row yeah. those are the those are the and and yeah it's so Todd Helton front row.
0: You don't no, 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 sure, no. Yeah.
1: But he belongs right in that group, right in the middle of that pack with everybody else sitting in that same
0: Hey, you know, it's probably like Canton, if they give you the gold jacket, you don't care, you know, how long it took but you got a gold jacket, right? And and if you're a Hall of Famer in baseball, um they're not they're not kicking you out of the, you know, the get-togethers and in Cooperstown and in forevermore, you'll be known as a hall of famer. And, and again, one day Todd will have that distinction. And uh, just a little note about when you talk about, you know, filling up a basketball arena, um, you know, with 20,000 people, I think last year ended, I want to say, I may be wrong, Drew. It's like 19,000, it's getting close to 20,000. But anyhow, your point being, that's still really, really important. It comes up um, on the air uh, on our broadcast on television a little bit, Jeff Houston. If you if you called up Huey right now and said, "Hey, Huey, what number were you when you got to the big leagues?" He'd tell you, "I was, you know, thirteen thousand two hundred eighty-eight or whatever." Spilly Ryan Spilborgs. He knows exactly what number he was because that that's not. Oh, this is the group that played at least three years in the big leagues. No, if you had one at back, Mark Strittmatter who's been a longtime coach in the Rockies organization. I'm sure you guys know him. He's a roving catching instructor, wonderful guy. He got four at-bats in the big leagues. He was 0 for 4, um, but he got he got 30 days in. It was a September call-up, and he said it was the greatest 30 days of his life. He's one of those 19,000-some-odd uh, players. So it, it it's whether you played a day or if you were like the great Henry Aaron who played 23 years. That's it, man. And uh, to to be in that tiny group of a of, uh, 100 and some odd or really 300, you know, Walker of all people was 333 fittingly. It, it's amazing because we're now talking about 150 years of history.
1: Yeah. Really cool, really special to be a part of all this stuff. And uh, yeah, like you said, I, I think it's going to be, it's nice that it gets to be a special day, a more special day with just Jeter and Walker and that and that being the thing that we'll get to have that because that was the one, the only sour thing about Walker getting in is that we didn't then get to have the big moment. And so hopefully we get to do that here very soon. And and it does mean that we'll have two celebrations of Rockies players because,
2: you know, again, we would all oh, have been right. elated if Todd Helton would have gotten in this year. But then you go, Really? You know, I'll we've been waiting 28 again. years to see a Rocky go in, and now you get two for the price of one. I wanted to pay two. I wanted to pay double the price. I wanted to have, have two vacations in two different summers. But as it were, two for the price of one's all right.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I just hope that that everybody can go who's able to go and wants to go and celebrate. You know, Walker this summer and uh, in, in a summer coming up hopefully not too far in the distance. We'll be able to do the same thing for 17. Yeah.
1: Well, stick with us between now and then keep up on all of it. We're going to keep tweeting out all of the information about the hall of fame. Whenever we have it, <laughs> will uh, and all the fun stuff when we come up with these fun stats, we like to share them with you, of course, on the podcast, but you got to follow on social media at Patrick D lions at drew Creason, at DNVR underscore Rockies. And of course, at Drew Goodman 42. Uh, now you've also got to make sure you're subscribed to thednvr.com so you don't miss out on any of the written content. Plus, you get discounts on hats and shirts and masks. You get a bigger beer when you come down to the at capacity DNVR bar. Socially distanced out there. We're doing uh, watch parties for the Abs and the Nuggets. Nuggets are really picking it up right now. MPJ back in the lineup. That's gonna. They're looking great. So yeah, Mike, gonna be a lot of fun. Yeah, Mike, got that. Yeah, Mike shirt out in a hurry, didn't we? <laughs> hey,
2: Goody. Thursday, Thursday morning. The podcast is dropping with Walt Weiss. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh,
0: we talk uh, as as you mentioned earlier. Talk a lot about uh, you know his relationship with Henry Aaron, his interactions with Henry Aaron. We'll talk uh, about the current upcoming season and a little bit about the Atlanta Braves. But Walt's well, always great. And uh, so that'll that'll be a lot of fun. And we'll we'll talk uh, we'll talk a little bit about you know Todd's candidacy and some football yeah. stuff as well. So that'll break on uh, on Thursday.
1: Well one of the things you get when you subscribe to the DNR.com is access to a, a private chat room Discord we have and we, we had a couple people in there talking saying hey guys I heard the show not sure about a Drew Goodman podcast but I'm gonna check it out and then he went and goes immediately i'm i'm subscribed and i'm down so that quick convert give it a try like our friend matt in the discord that's all it takes you just go over you have a listen you're a rockies fan you're not going to want to miss it it's as simple as that
0: tell tell matt that very special uh we we appreciate it that very special prize will be in
1: the mail that's right (laughs) that's right
0: we're going to send him we're going to send him that oversized mug that you began the show with
1: (laughs) that's right matt matt this is this is on our on our way straight to you exactly right so make sure you're following along on that uh the drew goodman podcast make sure you're subscribed to that and make sure you don't miss the dfa show tomorrow subscribe to our youtube channel as very special guest mr thomas harding i threw the mr his way as as well you like that if anyone needs the mister at the front of his name hey and and, and i know i speak for you guys one of our all-time favorite
0: Guys that we, you know, work with colleagues is Hardball Thomas Harding. There's not a better human being going than than Hardball. He's great
1: guy. uh, Makes every room walks into a a better place. And tomorrow he will walk into our podcast, and so we're excited about that.
0: I, I don't know if I've ever seen him in a bad mood.
1: Right, I know, right? So. Uh, Thank you all for continuing to be absolutely awesome out there, continuing to listen. We really do appreciate it. We promise you we will continue to be absolutely Patrick Lyons, Drew Creasman, and Drew Goodman in here. And until next time, we will see you at the ballpark.